We're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 1. And uh, like usual, I thought, well, we'll keep it short. I'll just highlight a few things. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And then I began to see this. And okay. So we'll hopefully make it through here today. And we are indeed going to just highlight a few things that we uh, are pointing out here. You know, from the book of Malachi until you come to the New Testament with Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, and the introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a period of time that's called the 400 silent years, approximately, of course. And that period of time was simply because the Lord had not appeared, the Lord had not spoken through his prophets uh, for some 400 years. And now... All of a sudden, within one year's time, you have a multitude of appearances of the angel of the Lord. And so we want to look at some of those uh, this morning because it was one most amazing year in the, not only in the life of Israel, but in the history of the world. Beginning here in, in Luke 1, which we've read several times, uh, passages from there this morning already. If you look at verse 11, <clears throat> excuse me, if you'll find that the Lord, or excuse me, the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias. In verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, when we, we've looked at this word appeared many times, as back in the Old Testament as well as in the New. And we saw and recognized that this was just no mere ghostly vision or some, you know, mysterious thing. It was an actual visible appearance of an angel. Matter of fact, he was, says he was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So if you've been gone for 400 years and there's been no word from the Lord and all of a sudden, even as a priest, you were to walk into the temple performing your duties as Zechariah's lot fell to him, I think that would have been a little startling. And it was to Zechariah. And it says there in verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Then you go down to verse 19 and it says, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Amazing. Gabriel stands in the presence of God. Now he's in the temple standing in the presence of Zechariah. Amazing creatures that God has raised up to declare his message and bring his messages to men. And this isn't the only one. I stand in the presence of God, and it says there, and was sent to speak to you. And we found earlier that that's what the very word angel means in Hebrew. It's one who was sent, a messenger. And he brought a message to Zechariah. Now, <clears throat> the good news that was to them, because he says, I bring you these glad tidings, this good news was simply that Zacharias and Elizabeth, even in their old age, were going to have a baby, a baby boy. 
and his name was John. We know him most familiarly as John the Baptist and that he would be filled with the Spirit. So I'm just pointing out some highlights out of this chapter, mainly concerning some things that God has deemed to record for us through Luke. And so he says, he was filled with the Spirit in verse 15. If you look down at verse 41, so just take a quick glance down there, and you find... Also, it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you look down at verse uh, 67, and now look at that. It says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He will be filled. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth and Zacharias were already filled with the Spirit at this point in time. And if we go back to verse 6, we find that they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. These were righteous Jews, walking before the Lord, in a righteous manner. And God had chosen them to bear this one who would announce the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Now, not only did an angel appear to Zacharias, but over in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 1 and verse 18, we find that an angel appeared to Matthew, or Joseph. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then over in chapter 2 and verse 13, they had left for Egypt, and it says, Now when they uh, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying... Um, to Joseph, he said, Arise, take the young child with his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And then in verse 19, after Herod was dead, it says this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel to those who sought the young child's life uh, are dead. And so we see that God was active and guiding and directing in all that he was going to accomplish through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The next scene we have is the angel Gabriel appears to Mary back in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It tells us there that Gabriel was sent by God 
and verse 28, notice what it says. And having come in, he was present, an appearance of an angel. <clears throat> and he said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. Then we look down at verse 32, and it says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And then we find down in verse 38, and the angel departed from her. Now, all these appearances of heavenly creatures, angels, carrying this divine message of what was about to happen. Now, <coughs> some things I want to point out regarding this one who is to be born of Mary. He's called the king of the ages. In verse 33, we look at that again. It says there concerning him, the angel made this announcement, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And our focus on that word forever is literally to or into the ages. It's plural. And so that indicates to us that God had a longstanding divine purpose for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. He would reign as a king into the coming ages. And then we find down with, uh, with Mary concerning uh, her response to Elizabeth after she had gone to visit Elizabeth. And she said, Blessed is the mother of my Lord, and who am I to get this privilege? And Mary responds with what's familiarly, good word, known to us as uh, in Latin as the Magnificat, where she magnifies the Lord. And so she says in verse, verse uh, 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies, that is, makes great the name of the Lord or declares with greatness the name of the Lord. And um, down in verses 54 and 55 in that same passage, it says there, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed unto the age. So we find that phrase a second time. Unto the ages. Now here it's unto the age, singular. And then, if we look over at Zechariah's prophecy in verse 60, verses 67 and through 70, it says this. Now his father, Zechariah, this concerning John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world or the age began. And I think it's Young uh, in his literal translation says, from of old. And you catch the idea that that's what he's talking about, from an age prior, from of old. Now, all three of these references all refer to the promised seed that uh, concerning or which would descend from Abraham. 
And you might recall that when God gave that promise to Abraham, he called him outside and he told him to look up at the stars and see if you can count them, Abraham. And he said, your descendants are going to be greater than these. A multitude of descendants. See if you can number the stars that you can see in the heavens. And so we found there that there were this expression three times, but in a different vein. In verse 33, you see that phrase, the house of Jacob? And then if you look down in verse 55 or 54, it says, his servant Israel. And then if you look over to Zechariah's prophecy, it says, the house of his servant David. And earlier we saw that it said he would sit on the throne of his father David. What does that tell us and what are these expressions saying to us when he says he will reign over the house of Jacob when it says that uh, <clears throat> he has helped his servant Israel and then also that he has raised up a horn of salvation or deliverance for us in the house of his servant David. Do you see house and servant combined with Zacharias? We had a house of Jacob first, servant of Israel second, and now we have house of his servant David. On the surface, I think we would easily look at that and say, well, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the literal descendants of the 12 tribes and those that he would rule over. And that would be proper. But I think there's something even deeper than that that goes beyond the surface of what he's trying to tell us. And I really wish that I had time to delve into it more deeply today. And later on, I hope we will. But I think that behind this is this prophecy and this promise that God had given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when he said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In, and I should have kept it open, I think that was page 147 in that last uh, Christmas song, When he said, um, I better, I should have left it open now. I don't know if I got the right one or not. I, I better not do that. I'll take up too much time. Um, <clears throat> I think what he's looking at is simply this turn with me to um, Galatians. And I didn't write it down. This is my fault, so I may have to ask somebody to help me. But I think it's Galatians 3. Um, and I'm looking for the verse that has the word Israel in it. So if somebody looks that up for me real quick, I'd appreciate it. In the meantime, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 and 14. 
where he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And anybody find my verse yet? Anybody look it up? Israel? Nobody looked it up? Nobody's helping me. Where is it? He's looking it up. Okay, I'm looking. I thought it was 316, but that's not the one. But it's still a verse we want to look at. So we're looking at chapter 3 of Galatians in verse 16 where he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that God was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. And now my verse. You still looking? <laughs> That's I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Is that the one I want? I didn't, maybe, maybe that's what I want. There you go. That's it. I was thinking 316 and 616. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. And as many, now listen to this very carefully. He says, and as many as walk according to this rule. Well, what's the rule? Well, in the previous verse, he says, in Christ Jesus, neither uh, circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And this is what's behind the idea of this new covenant that the Lord Jesus Christ brought. And there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision in this new covenant. And he tells us, as many as. Now, those, when you think about that, those are words of limitation. As many as. So by definition, that's not everybody. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So what is the Israel of God? It's the obedient ones who walk according to this rule. It is not just anybody who claims the name of Christ. Now, I know in popular Christianity today, that's what they like to think. That just because I have received Christ as my Savior, oh, yeah, I did that. I prayed that prayer when I was five years old or eight years old or 20 or whenever it was. The condition for being a member or a part of the Israel of God is obedience. As many as walk according to this rule. Now back in Luke chapter 1, when we're talking about the house of Jacob or the family of Jacob, when we're talking about his servant Israel, now, that word servant is a most unusual word, and several years ago, we looked at these, these words, and this is the word uh, that is for a, a child, a young boy. 
but it's used in a context that has to do with a slave. And so what he's using is a very intimate term of ownership of these that he's speaking to. And he says he has helped his servant Israel. The word helped means to reach out and embrace, to take a hold of, to lend some real, real help. Not just imaginary, not just pretend, not just speaking some words, but to actually help. And by the way, over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I think it is, this same word is used about helping the weak and the poor and the needy. He's talking about reaching out with some substantial real help. It almost would imply taking a hold of and embracing to help hold them up. To, matter of fact, I think in some translations even translate it to give them some support, whether financial or whether coming alongside to help them along in their weakened state. And so when he's talking about here helping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, he's talking about that same group of people, that family of Jacob, those who are of the seed of Abraham, those who have believed in the promise that God gave to Abraham and have walked accordingly. And he's talking about the same thing then when he comes to Zechariah when he talks about the house of his servant. It's the same word. He doesn't vary. The message stays steady and consistent. He's talking about the obedient ones. These he has come to rescue. These he will fulfill his promise in. Now, having said that, I want us to go back and look at a couple other things. Back in here in, in chapter 1 of Luke, we're going to look at verse 32 again. And he says there, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the angel is speaking to Mary, telling him about this one that was she has in her womb and it's going to be born. And he says there, he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. You notice that phrase. He will be called the son of the highest. Look over at verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, upon you and the power of the highest. The son of the highest, the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. He will be called the Son of the Highest. He will be called the Son of God. And the power of the Highest will overshadow him. But then, if we look at verse 76. Now we have Zechariah speaking. And notice what Zechariah says in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Highest. The prophet of the Highest. A spokesman for God. One who is bringing God's message from heaven to earth for man. But that's not all. Over in Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to skip back a little bit to Matthew chapter 5. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 44... Some familiar verses where he says this. 
Jesus is speaking. He's not a baby anymore. He's grown up. He's in his 30s. He's ministering and teaching and what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why would you do that? He says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. When you receive Christ, you become a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that. But not everybody claims the privilege of being a son because it demands obedience. It demands adhering to the principles of his covenant. This new covenant that Jesus is proclaiming to his disciples in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you do these things that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Hey, he, he treats them alike. He doesn't withhold rain necessarily from the wicked or the unjust. When it rains on Chattanooga, when it rains on my house, it rains on my neighbor behind me and the one across the street and the guy next to me on the right. Same as it does at your house. But if you want to be amongst those who are called the sons of God, he says that you do these things. Love your enemies. He says, bless those that curse you and do good to those that hate you. And if you go back to Luke's gospel again in chapter 6 where you have Luke's account about the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says there. He says, love your enemies. He says, do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great. And then what does he say? And you will be sons of the Most High. Matthew's account says you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. Luke's account says you'll be sons of the Most High. Hmm. I think that's what he said over in Luke chapter 1 concerning Jesus, that he would be the son of the Most High, or the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So that's the principle that he's laid down for us. And of course, there's much more to the Sermon on the Mount that we would not have time to cover today. But simply to say that there is great reward in the future for those who would walk accordingly or in a manner that would please God and be like those Hebrew believers uh, or those believers in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says these all died in faith. And the point of it being is they were doing this and they were walking in faith right up to the day of their death. And that's what counts. And so when he goes on, we mentioned John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name.
That's the starting point. Receiving Him. You know, if we go over to Romans chapter 8, He says there, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As many as. There's your words of limitation again. It's not everybody. It is that one who allows himself to be led by God's Spirit. It is not seeking to fulfill these things in the power of the flesh. It is in the power of God's Spirit. And you do these things like Paul told the Galatian believers. The things you do in the flesh, adultery, fornication, outbursts of anger, wrath, you know, and all these other things that he mentioned. But he says then if you're led of the Spirit, no law against that, he said. And those things were love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and all these other things, qualities that he wants us to acquire in our life so that we can be these sons of God that he's speaking of. How do we do that? Well, you simply surrender. You surrender to God's leading. You surrender to His Spirit. You allow His Spirit to have the preeminent place in your heart and not your own flesh, not my own will. It is putting Him first. We surrender to God's leading leading in this very new covenant thing that He is presenting to His disciples. Living this way, loving one another, as he tells us elsewhere in the, New, in the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, by the way. It's the whole thing. It's all the New Covenant. That we are to love one another. And many other such things he has expressed to us as the means by which we might ultimately be claimed as sons of God. And if we are claimed as a son of God, then he says there is great reward. Not just any reward, but great reward. And I hope you're after that. I hope you're seeking that. I hope you want it more than anything else in life. I can't tell you Um, how it hurts me when I see people I care about giving in to the world. And believe me, it happens. It happens. And when you're close to that person and you love that person, that hurts. But you see, it has to be a work of God in your own heart. It has to be what you want. It has to be you taking the admonition of James that if you will draw near to him, then he'll draw near to you. I don't know why we always get it backwards. We always want to think, well, God's got to do something in my life and then I will respond to that. No, no. You initiate the step. 
You take the first step. And then he will respond to you. He will draw near to you. Why is it that way? Because he's seeking your heart. He wants to know that he has you. That's what he's looking for. And that's what Christmas is for. To know that when that little baby came into that manger and God became a man and took on human flesh, it was there because, and he was there because he desires us. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that he wants you. None of this, oh man, I'm not good enough. God would never want me. That's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And trust me, I've been there. Been down that road. And some of you have too. Some of you might be on it right now. And it does not pay. That's not what God is looking for. It's to recognize the value and worth in you and that he wants you that you need to make the first step let's pray father is our heart's desire to lift our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to the god of heaven and to thank you for your son jesus to thank you for the message that was conveyed through this play this morning and those who participated and the verses that were read and the songs that were sung and the manner in which the Spirit of God touched our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us then, even now. And that we would not leave here with questions, doubts about your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.